Well, good morning, Rivertown Community Church. Hey, it's good to have all of you at all of our campuses today. And I think this is a very, very important conversation because as we told you at the beginning of the year, we're just trying to lean into some conversations that we think will make 2019 so much better for you. And so today, um, we're, we're adding another one of those conversations to this first month in January. And so if you got your talk notes, uh, go ahead and pull them out because I'm sure you're going to want to write some things down as we go through today's talk. But to get us going today, I just want to ask you a question. Well, how would you answer this question right here? What does it mean to follow Jesus? I want you to think about that for just a moment. What does it really mean to follow Jesus? Now, some of you are sitting on some of our campuses and, and you have an answer in your mind and you're pretty sure that your answer is the right answer. Some of you are sitting there thinking, ah, that's exactly like why I'm here today. I've been trying to figure that out. I would really like to know the answer to this question. Now, now here's kind of what I've discovered over the years, and, and that's not always an easy question for people to answer. And the reason we know that is because I've been pastoring now for like 25 years, and, and when you ask people this question, people give you so many different answers to the question. So here's the thing this morning. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Like, how do you know if you're following him well? Or how do you even know if you're following him at all? Well, here's the interesting thing. Back in the first century, there was a word that they used to describe someone who followed. It was this word here. It was the word disciple. And Jesus actually told us, if you know someone is a disciple of, us, of his. In other words, he says, here's how you know if someone truly is following me. In fact, right before his arrest, right before going to the cross, Jesus sat down with his disciples and he said this. He said, guys, listen, if you don't get anything else that I say, I just want to make sure you get this. And what he explained is something that if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, it's not expected of you. But it's really at the heart of why sometimes Christians frustrate you. In fact, notice what Jesus tells his disciples in John chapter 13, beginning in verse 34. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. To which some of us think, well, that's kind of new, but people who really don't even believe in Jesus, they kind of believe in that love one another thing. But here's what we don't want you to miss as we begin this conversation today. And that is Jesus is saying, listen, I'm taking this love thing to a whole new level. I'm giving you a definition, a new definition for what it really means to love one another. And then Jesus, he gives that new definition for the new level. Here's what he says. A new command I give you, love one another, as I have loved you, so you must love one another another. Now, you don't want to miss this. When Jesus says, so you must love one another, he is really saying following Jesus is not a transactional kind of thing. It's not like, hey, I checked off this church box and I checked off this church box and so I'm a good follower of Jesus. It's like way more than I like prayed this prayer and I got baptized and I showed up at church and, and so me and God, we're good because I checked the box. 
And see, that's a very transactional view of a relationship with God. Jesus is saying, following him, it's not transactional. It's not like a fire insurance kind of thing. And and then you and God are good for all eternity. No, no, no. He's saying, no, no. Following Jesus, it's relational. Which means this. All of us, every one of us, no matter who we are or no matter where you're at on your faith journey, we have another step of faith that we can take with God and with one another relationally. Because think about it. In relationships, there is always another step that you can take relationally. There's always another opportunity to demonstrate trust in and to somebody. There's always another opportunity to love one another at a higher level. And so when Jesus says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another, Jesus is saying, listen, following me, it's not transactional at all. It is relational. There is always something else that you can do. There is always, get this, don't miss this, there is always a next step that you can take to demonstrate another level of love to one another. And you know what? When you really stop and you think about it that way, doesn't it just kind of like change everything for most of us about what it means to follow Jesus Christ? Because see, following Jesus means there's always that next step that you can take relationally to love one another as he loved us. And here's the thing that you discover when you begin to understand, there's always a next step to take to love one another as he loved us. That kind of love, it carries a very high price tag. In fact, Jesus goes on and he points this out. He says, by this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. In other words, he's saying, listen, don't fool yourself into thinking that people are going to know that you're my disciple just because like your mama and your grandmama, you know, they were at church every Sunday and they were Christians or because you show up at church on some weekends or you have like a Bible verse hanging on the wall in your house or you listen to some kind of Christian music. No, no, no. According to Jesus, the distinguishing mark of a disciple, a follower of Jesus is your sacrificial, supernatural love for one another. The kind of love that doesn't serve like when it's convenient or sporadically or occasionally. No, he says, you're a disciple. You're a follower. If you love one another, if love is who you are and what you do, because see, Jesus is working in and Jesus is working through you. He's saying, listen, you're a disciple, you're a follower. When when like serving others because of love is like your first choice, like when the price of serving doesn't prevent you from serving, like when you'll serve others day after day, even when it costs you a lot. See, that's what Jesus is saying discipleship, followership looks like. It's It's that supernatural, sacrificial, powerful love that marks the lives of people who are following Jesus as they live that love out every day. Now, here's what's interesting about this. For those of you that are on our campuses this morning and you're listening to this and um, 
You, you don't follow Jesus and you don't, you're not really sure like where you stand with God or you don't even know if you like the church. And isn't this a big reason why what we're talking about this morning? And because like you spend a lot of time with Christians who like talk about Jesus, but they don't love like Jesus. In fact, you've been around many Christians who like they point out to you how you don't live like Jesus but they don't look anything like him themselves, and, and, and you don't even expect Christians to be perfect. But, but you at least figure Christians would show up and, and be a little bit better at loving other people than maybe what we are. And you know what, you're right if you're not a Christ follower, and it's always bothered you that Christians don't love like Jesus, because I'm telling you, it's not an easy thing to do. In fact, it takes a lot of work and a lot of maturity to learn how to love like Jesus, which is why so many people who call themselves Christ followers, who have, they have this relationship, they, de they declare they have a relationship with Jesus, but they don't love like Jesus very well. See, the sign of spiritual maturity is love. It's not knowledge. It's not being able to argue things about Christianity and what it means, those kind of things. It's, it's love. That's the sign of maturity. In fact, um, our culture is not the only one that struggled with this. In fact, in the first century when Jesus was here on the earth, one day this religious professional, he asked Jesus, he goes, well, what does it really mean to follow Jesus? And the way that he asked it was by saying, like, what's the most important command to follow? Because there was a lot of them that they were told to follow in that day. So he's like, Jesus, what matters? What makes a good follower of God? And Jesus responded by simplifying it all. In fact, here's what he says in Matthew chapter 22. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Literally, it means it is equal to. It's not less than. It's the same as. So he said this, this is as important as the first. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So according to Jesus, he's going, okay, you can really simplify this following Jesus thing. Being a Christ follower means I love God and I love people the way Jesus loved people. In fact, Jesus goes on to say, he goes, listen, one of the primary ways that you can love God or one of the primary ways that you show that you love God is by loving the people that Jesus loved, by loving the people enough that you show that kind of love. In fact, if you want to know how much Jesus loved people, he loved the people enough to die for them. And that's not just one or two people. That was everybody. And Jesus said, listen, I want you to go love everybody the way that I have loved everybody. And you know what? Jesus' first century disciples, their first century followers, his first century followers, they took this so seriously that when Paul and Peter and John and James, they wrote those documents, those letters that we now call the New Testament, what they really did was they provided a commentary on how to love God and how to love your neighbor. 
So like when you're reading through the New Testament, I mean, you see this all through the New Testament. There's like one letter after another letter saying, here's what it means to love one another. Oh, by the way, here's another way to love one another. Oh, here's something else you should do to love one another. Because see, the New Testament writers, the New Testament followers of Jesus, they understood that loving one another, don't miss this, they understood that loving one another was what Jesus intended to be the primary activity of his church. In fact, don't miss this. You probably want to write this down. The primary activity of the church is to one another, one another. See, this is where Christ followers miss it all the time. The primary activity of the church is not what we're doing right now in this moment, in this gathering. While gathering together as Christ followers is important, in fact, the writers of the New Testament, they, they talk about it, but they give us very little detail about what to do or how to do it. I mean, they talk about like celebrating communion together, but they don't tell us how often to do that. They talk about singing songs together, but they say nothing about what songs to sing or how many songs to sing or how loud the music should be or shouldn't be or what style the music should be. So, so really, the song preferences, that's, that's kind of something that is just kind of up to each individual church. And they, they talk about sermons, but they say nothing about how long they should be or the best style or the best approach should it be. I mean, there is one story in there where the Apostle Paul, he preached so long that um, there's this guy sitting on the edge of a third-story window. He fell asleep, and the guy fell out the window and died. And that's never happened when I've been preaching. So, you know, I think I'm keeping it short enough right now, but... See, see, there's very few specifics about how we're supposed to do this. And here's why. Because while this is important, what we're doing this morning together, it's important. But it was never meant to be central to what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. See, gathering like this is supposed to be the encouragement and the support that drives us to what is central. That pushes us toward what is central. And what is central is loving God by loving your neighbor like Jesus loved you. And you know what's interesting? The New Testament is full of details about how to do that. Matter of fact, there are over 50 specific examples about how we should love one another in the New Testament. But let me just show you some of those examples. For example, they taught this, the New Testament leaders taught us that we should forgive one another. Now, that's not easy to do, especially like when the hurt and betrayal goes deep. But as Jesus followers, we're to forgive unconditionally. You know why? The New Testament writers tell us because we have been forgiven unconditionally. They, they went on to say that we should accept one another. Not, not just accept the people like us, but those who aren't like us. Not just the people who, who don't like what we like or think like we think, but even those that don't think like we think. Not, not just those that, or that get along with us, and, but he says, listen, I want you to accept even people who rub you the wrong way. Listen, he's saying, I want you to offer unconditional acceptance toward others, which means accepting them in their best moments and accepting them 
them in their worst moments. It means loving them when they are lovable, and it means loving them when they are unlovable. And the writers go on and say, oh, by the way, here's another way that you need to love one another. You care for one another. Literally, like when you see a need and you see somebody has a need, it's like you don't call up the church and go, hey, can somebody from down at the church come take care of this need? And I always want to tell our staff, you know, when somebody says that and they're a Christ follower, can you ask them, are you part of the church? Because <laughs> see, God revealed the need to you. And part of the way we love one another is we care for one another. So what we do is we step in and we do what love requires us to do. Like when we notice that someone is struggling, we help to carry their load and we help them along. And, and here's the thing, sometimes people go, yeah, but I don't think they deserve it. Look at their lifestyle. Do, do we care for one another because they deserve it? No, 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 no. We, we care for one another because we have a Father in heaven who cares for us, even in our worst moments when we don't deserve it. We're to encourage one another. Like when I see you do something well, you know, the loving thing to do is like to step in and to celebrate that with you and encourage you to keep that up. And like when I see you losing heart, it's like, and you're just kind of like wanting to give up and kind of like growing weary and well-doing. The loving thing to do is kind of like come along and encourage and remind you, hey, it matters what you're doing. It makes a difference. Just stay the course, stick with it. The writers of the New Testament, they teach us that another way we love, we're to love, our, love one another is we're to submit to one another. Now, here's the thing. Nobody wants to do that. But submit to you means that I put your needs and, and your interests and your desires before my own interests and desires. See, that's what it looks like to love my neighbor as myself. It's like I treat you as though you're more important than me. I serve you rather than to be served. I, I lean in your direction rather than trying to lean in my direction. I, I do it your way rather than to do it my own way. And I'm just telling you, this whole submit to one another, whew, that's, that's one's hard. You need the supernatural love of Jesus Christ in your life. He, he goes on, he says, listen, some of the writers say, you need to bear with one another. I mean, this is such an important part of loving others because, see, here's the thing. The writers of the New Testament, they understood that we would find ourselves in circles with people that are so different than us, that think so differently than us, that Republicans would cross lines with Democrats and Democrats with Republicans, and that Alabama and Auburn fans would be in circles with Gator and Seminole fans, you know? That creatives would cross paths with accountants. Watch that happen sometime. That's a really interesting one. I was in a meeting just recently with that. You know, and then you got the extroverts and the introverts. They find themselves in the same room, you know. So, so he said, listen, you, you need to remember, like one of the most loving things that you can do is to bear with people who disagree with you. Or here's another example. We're, we're told to restore one another. You, you know Why? Because the writers of the New Testament knew that we're human, and at some point, we would all start to drift away from the faith, and, and we would hurt feelings, and, and we would make foolish choices, and, and we would mess up, and we would fall down and get back up and get back on track, and then we'd mess up, and we'd fall down again. And, and so the apostles said, listen, listen, here's what it looks like 
to love God and to love your neighbor. You just keep coming alongside each other and you help to restore each other and you help to get each other back on track. Like when you see it coming in a friend of yours life or a neighbor's life or a coworker's life or someone's life, you say something to them, not to everybody else. And when they see it coming in your life, they say something to you and not to everybody else. It's like, you don't go around and gossip about each other. You don't speak negative about each other. You don't tear each other down in front of other people. I mean, and attack like their value and their worth. No, no, no. He says, no, 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 no. You love each other too much for that. Instead, the loving thing to do is you go to that person, you have a loving conversation like whenever there's an issue and you work it out and, and you protect their reputation in front of others and instead of diminishing it, you restore them. Love is about restoration, not about being a carrier of information of other people. And they also taught us this, that you should carry burdens of one another. See, see, part of loving each other, stepping in when a burden is about to take someone down, the Apostle Paul kind of wrote it this way in the last chapter in Galatians. He said, listen, you need to bear your own burden, but then he goes on and says, but bear one another's burdens. And if you look at those two words, one means your daily basic responsibilities, but one is too great a burden for you to bear. And what he's saying is it's about supporting someone who's carrying a weight that is too great to bear alone. It's about helping someone stay afloat like when they're drowning in life struggles and making sure that the circumstances that are surrounding this person don't crush them, that they still can have hope and, and they can still understand love. See, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. This is what we who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, this is what we're called to do. This, this one another thing that's all through the New Testament, it's how you love God by loving your neighbor. See, this is what Jesus said that we should be known for. And he says, when you love one another this way, then people will know that you are my followers. So how do you learn to love this way? Because here's the reality. Of all that list, and there was many more in the New Testament, we still have time to go there, or some of you might fall out and don't want you to die. <clears throat> There's so many more of them. See, this doesn't come naturally. How do you develop this kind of love? Write this down. You can't love one another without doing life with one another. See, you can't one another, you can't love one another unless you are doing life with one another. And here's the thing. In the gatherings that we do on Sunday morning, I mean, you can't do the one another thing. You just can't. I mean, you can kind of get a, like a small taste of being one another, like when you come to one of our campuses, one of our services, I mean, because there's a bunch of Dream Team members who like serve you, like when you show up and, and they create the space for you and they, they greet you and they serve you in different kind of ways. In fact, if you have kids, I mean, your kids kind of get a little bit of the one another in our incredible preschool and elementary and middle school and high school ministries, but you don't want another them back See, you can't one another sitting in rows. 
And you can't one another as you just kind of pass each other in a hallway or in a foyer or in a parking lot. See, you can't do these things well with people that you only see occasionally or you periodically pass when you're attending one of our services on a Sunday morning. It's, it's impossible. Here's what you have to understand. It takes intentional relationships to grow in this whole thing called love. See, it takes the kind of relationships where you are invested with a certain group of people for a period of time and you're committed to loving those people when it's good, and don't miss this, and when it's bad, when it's easy and when it's ugly. See, if you're not intentional about choosing a few people to love this way, then here's what's gonna happen. When things like get hard, you're going to lean away from those relationships. You'll, you'll slip out the back door. You'll walk away from the mess. And that doesn't teach you how to love. See, that's why we keep telling you from time to time that connection is so much better than isolation. That, that you need to be in circles with other people. Because as we say it, it's connection is so better than isolation. It's how you learn to love one another. Connection in a small group of people outside of your family who that you consistently do life with. Please hear this. When you are in circles with a few other people like every week, when you're making that like part of your weekly routine, you are actually able at that point to be able to do what Christ's followers should be known for doing in a circle a small group, you, you become known by a few. You, you get known by a few, which gives you an opportunity. See, when, when you start being known by this few on a weekly basis, what it does, don't miss this, it gives you the opportunity to forgive when it gets hard. When there's relationship issues in that small group and you're committed to that for a long period of time, it gives you the opportunity to forgive when it gets hard. It gives you the opportunity to accept when it gets difficult. It gives you the opportunity to care and encourage when it's tough. And it gives you the opportunity to learn how to submit when you want to be selfish. Listen, you can't do that stuff at the level that Jesus asked us to do if you're not diving deep into doing relationships on a weekly basis with a few. Because see, if you're not doing life weekly with people, you don't really know what they need. I know every once in a while, I'll see, we've got it like going on this semester, like three or four different groups on different campuses. They're trying to do this monthly thing. I'm like, that's a social club. That's not a group. Because you're not doing life enough to really know and experience how to do acceptance and forgiveness. You're not getting it there. You got to get up close and personal and make this commitment. See, you just can't do that when it's a random, occasional kind of thing. See, let me help you understand this. Most of you have no idea how many of the people sitting in the room with you today need encouragement? You, you have no idea in what area they need to be cared for. You, you have no idea if they're like starting to drift and need to be restored. I mean, it's like you're clueless whether their past week was like full of struggles or full of successes for them. And here's the reality. I don't know that either. But here's what I do know. If you ask me 
what was going on in the life of the guys in my small group, and we meet every week, and we were talking about this this past week, like, man, this is the thing that we build our weeks around. I I can tell you, I can tell you what's going on in the lives of those guys in my group, and they can tell you what's going on in my life, because we have decided to go deep together in loving each other and stay committed to the process of forgiving, accepting, restoring, caring. See, they're the one another's that I'm doing life with. Please, please don't miss this. You can't love one another without doing life with one another. It's impossible. See, see you can kind of show up and and you can love people. You can you know, express a little bit of love with people that you cross paths with. And, and you should do that every day, every moment of every day. But that's not how you develop the practice of truly loving people the way Jesus taught us to do it. Because it's short term. It's just a short term. But when you do life with people, you say, listen, we're going to make this the priority of our week, and we're going to get together every week, even when it's hard, when it's difficult, and we're going to talk to each other instead of talking outside of a group to other people. Like, and when you're committed to this long-term thing, and we're going to stick it out no matter how hard it gets. See, that's the kind of love that a family should have, that a marriage should have. That's the kind of love the body of Christ should have. Listen, those kind of relationships that are committed for the long term, they require like submitting when it's not easy, forgiving when it's painful, restoring whenever it's tough, bearing with and carrying burdens when it's tiring. But that's how love grows. That's how you learn to love others like Jesus loved us. See, listen, it is in circles where we have these faith-growing kind of relationships that let you kind of deal with like the tough questions and, and pray for each other and figure out how you need to apply the loving one another's of God's word into your life. And it is why, as your pastor, I've been convinced of this for years and years, it's, it's why we're, like, we're convinced if you're not in a group, you are probably missing what it means to be the church. While this gathering thing that we do on Sunday morning, it is important. It isn't the most important part of the church. See, church life doesn't happen in rows. Church life, it happens in circles. It really does. See, it's happening in circles of preschool and elementary school age kids right now. They have like a small group leader that meets with them every week and, and helps them build in, in faith in their life and partners with you as parents. It happens in circles of like middle school and high school students each week. And see, as adults, we believe this is important for our children. We believe it's important for our students, but somehow we think that it's an, it's an option for us. Listen, there is always a next step that you can take relationally with any person that you're interacting with on a regular basis to love them at a next level. See, these circles, they happen for college students. They happen for single adults. They happen for married couples. It happens in many of your homes, and it happens in my home every week. So today what we're doing is, listen, we're inviting every one of you who are not in a circle 
Maybe you used to be in circle and life kind of got hectic for you. You went through a hectic season and, and you kind of pulled back from groups. Or maybe you tried it once and, and you weren't really committed to groups. You, you went into groups not about learning how to love people as Jesus loved us, but you went in it for more of like a Sunday school experience. Like, pull me up. I'm going to be a spiritual porker. You just feed me leader. And so you tried it and it got difficult because there's always difficult things that happen in a group. And now you pulled out of a group because, man, it wasn't doing enough. They weren't feeding you enough. They weren't feeding your spiritual pork or desire as much as you desire. And all the time, God was trying to teach you to love because he put some difficult people in that group to teach you to love. Or, or maybe you were in a group for a while. Maybe you even led a group for a while. And you just got tired of loving one another. So you figured out a way to rationalize being more self-centered and not being part of a life-giving, weekly kind of group. And here's the thing. We want to invite all of you to just go, God, today I'm going to step up to the next level, and I'm going to love one another like Jesus told me to love. I'm going to love one another like Jesus loved me. Listen. We challenge you. I'm telling you, if the church is going to make an impact in America, it is going to only happen when we who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ truly follow by loving one another as Christ loved you. And I know your schedules are busy, and I know your life is crazy, and I know you have no free time. I get that. I, I probably am as busy as anybody. But you know what? There's a date every night that I put on my calendar. That's the first thing. That's on Friday nights with my wife. I hope you don't get sick. I hope you don't have a crisis because my wife is Friday night, okay? Wednesday night, Wednesday night is my group night. That's when it's, and those two things get scheduled before anything else. And on those two nights, you need to call somebody else who cares, all right? Just say it. I'm just telling you. You need to be calling somebody in your small group, right? I'm just telling you, you got to make this love one another thing work. I have to do it for my marriage. I schedule out time for my marriage. I schedule out for time to do life with people up close and personal. Because see, listen, here's why. Here's why. It's one of the greatest ways to learn to love one another that we know. We, we don't know a better way than to get in a group of people and say, listen, for the next 3, 6, 12, 18 months, we're just going to commit to this process and we're going to learn how to do life by forgiving and serving and caring and bearing each other's burdens and restoring. And when it gets hard, we're going to talk to each other. We're not going to talk to everybody else. And we're not going to bail on each other. And here's the thing. Some of you, I know, the last time you like in a group or you led a group, like somebody in that group drove you crazy. But what if God was using that person to reveal to you how little love you have? Because as Peter said, and if you remember Peter, Peter was a guy who struggled to love other people. Like, I mean, he wanted to wipe everybody out, cut off a guy's ear, that kind of thing. I mean, like, but once he had experienced Jesus' love for him, notice what he says. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, here's what he says. Above all, in other words, like, here's like the most important thing you need to know. This is kind of the end of his writing. He's saying, listen, here's what you really need to know. This is the most important thing. Love each other deeply because... Love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without 
grumbling. Listen, some of you, some of you, you have written people out of your life and you rationalize not loving one another deeply because you're like, they're just too difficult, they're just too draining. When the truth is, you wrote them off because their struggle in life, it revealed to you, their, their, struggle, their struggle in life revealed to you your little or your lack of love. Because see, people who love deeply, love covers how many sins? Every campus, love covers how many sins? A multitude. And, and you know, here's the thing. When I watch people, and I even find this in myself, I mean, this is like one of the, the dashboards that I use. When I start to write someone off, I'm going, no, Paul, that's not their issue. That's Paul's issue. Because love covers a multitude of sin. And when we write people off, or saying, I'm not going to be doing life with this group of people. I'm going to, you know, blah, blah, blah. They're too draining, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't say a whole lot about them. It says a whole lot about us. Saying, I got a little love. That's why I can tolerate only a little. So some of you, you you've kind of gotten out of groups because you, you just kind of like grumbled your way out of showing one another love and hospitality. Oh, it's just too difficult. Those people are just this. Those people are that. Those people are that. You just grumbled your way right on out. Don't miss this. Here's what I've discovered. When you focus on one another's sins, their, their sin against you, their sin against God, it does not say as much about them as it does you. Love covers over a multitude of sin. Your lack of love, my lack of love, not their behavior is what's creating the issue for us. Which is why Peter said, listen, church, don't miss this. You can't love one another without doing life with one another. Now, now some of you are sitting there going, yeah, but we got kids and we just can't afford the childcare thing. And here's the good news, you don't have to. We make groups free for you. We actually reimburse you for any childcare costs that you have for your group. So. Uh, and that's how important we think groups are. And, and because people at our church are so generous, I mean, it's like we just consistently pay for childcare because of the generosity of people who consistently give. I mean, like, how's that for a deal? You get kind of a date night for free if you go to a group. Isn't that pretty cool? So you, and then you learn how to love each other, and it just gets better. Now, here, here's the thing. you got to understand this. We want to encourage you to step up and do this. We wanted today to kind of be that defining day at the beginning of 2019 where you just sign up for a group. As you've already heard this morning, you can sign up on the app. I mean, you can sign up on the website. You can sign up on that pastoral care update card that was inside that worship guide they received. Or, or you can go to that designated place on your campus and you can talk to someone about what group might be the right group for you. Please hear my heart on this. I have been in circles most of my adult life. So here's what I know from personal experience. Being in a circle, choosing to do life with one another, it will absolutely change your life, and it will teach you to love others 
like nothing else can. It may be the thing, I mean, I know this, it could be the thing that helps you through the tough times when you don't even know they're coming. I've had that happen so many times. It may even be the thing that prevents you from having tough times that you'll never realize that you ever missed because somebody restored you, they got you back on track and you didn't have a train wreck over there. Listen, a Christ follower is somebody who loves God by loving others like God loved them. That, that is why one of the primary activities that we have as a church is to one another, one another. But you can't do that just sitting in rows. You need to get in a circle. So here's what we're saying. Don't settle for a little bit of what it means to be a Christ follower. Experience what Jesus truly intended for you to experience and what he invites you to experience by loving one another. Because, see, you can't love one another without doing life with one another. So our challenge today is that you circle up and you do life with a few, and then you begin to see what God does in and what God does through you. Will you bow your heads with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this incredible opportunity where every person has the ability and the understanding right now to do, just absolutely do what um, you've called us to do. And, that, and that's love one another as you have loved us. God, I thank you, I thank you so much that we get the privilege of learning to do this here and now. And then, God, I just pray that as, as we make the commitment to step in to loving one another as you have loved us, God, that your supernatural power will just fill our hearts and our minds with a greater strength and a greater resolve to love. Because love, it always requires sacrifice of us. There is no love without sacrifice. So, God, we need your strength to be people who are willing to make the sacrifice. God, we're better together. We, we know that. We've experienced that. Many of us have. And God, we're praying that everybody will get that opportunity in this semester and will make that commitment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks, everyone. Have a great day. Don't make it, make it your number one priority. Get in a circle this semester. We'll see you.